If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation 13. We're finishing out uh, Revelation 13. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online this morning. We're so grateful that you are joining us today. And uh, I want to welcome uh, Reach Church DeSoto, Pastor Josh and uh, Pastor Ryan and the work that God is doing out there at DeSoto. We're so grateful for all of you that you have joined us today in the venue service meeting uh, right down the hall. So grateful that all of you are with us. We've been looking in uh, chapters 12 through 13 at what many have described as Satan's greatest deception, uh, his masterpiece, this counterfeit trinity. Uh, we've looked at the chronology of Revelation in the, the bowls, the trump, or the seals, the trumpets, and eventually the bowls in chapter 16. But in these sections of biography, this interlude, we're learning more about certain individuals. And I really believe that once you identify these key figures, it really gives you a better understanding of what, what really Satan is attempting to do and what God is doing in the midst of the tribulation. But we find this counterfeit trinity. We've seen uh, the red dragon, uh, Satan. Uh, last week, we saw that first beast coming out of the sea as Antichrist. You, if you want to think of it this way, uh, Satan is the architect of this plan. And then you have the Antichrist is the one who accomplished it, uh, the builder. And then we will look this morning at the false prophet who is the realtor. He's the one who sells it to the world. And he will bring all religion up underneath uh, Antichrist. We get a good bit of information in Scripture on the Antichrist in Daniel and other places, New Testament, Thessalonians, and here. Uh, but when it comes to the false prophet, all we really have is right here. This is the information we get. Uh, but don't take a, a lack of information for a lack of significance. Uh, this false prophet is highly significant. He's numbered right alongside the dragon of Satan and Antichrist, as we'll see later. He'll be the first of the human race, along with uh, the Antichrist, to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. So this is a significant figure, and uh, we're going to look at these verses and pray that God will give us understanding, truth, and we'll apply it to our lives. So let me pray with us and then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. And we come before your word in great humility and also in great dependency. We need you this morning. Um, God, I pray that, God, you would guard what I say. That nothing that I say would... Um, cause confusion or muddy the water when it comes to the simple truths of your word. And I pray today that you would speak to us by means of your word and your spirit. And I pray very simply for anyone who might be listening today who doesn't know you. I pray that they would see the beauty of Christ. I pray that they would see Christ as their only hope of salvation. And I pray that they would trust in him. And so, God, I pray that you would illumine Christ today. We recognize that your word, this Bible, is a book about Jesus. Grow us in our knowledge of understanding of Christ and who you are. And we ask that you would change us, all of us. We don't come 
to gather more information. We come for transformation. We come to be changed by means of your word and your spirit today. So help us, Lord. Help us that we not be simply hearers of the word, but doers also. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me, beginning there in verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Another beast, the Greek has two words for another, one meaning another of the same kind and, and another of a different kind. This is another of the same kind, uh, meaning that this uh, false prophet that we see here, this second beast, is a person just as Antichrist was a person. This will be a person. And just as Antichrist was, he is of satanic origin. So Satan is behind him. In fact, in a moment we'll see that when he speaks, he has the voice of the dragon. So when you hear his voice, you're hearing Satan speak through him much in the same way that when we hear the voice of Christ, we hear the voice of God. You'll hear the voice of Satan through him. So he's satanic. He's a Person And he is a beast. And what we're seeing in Scripture, in particular in Revelation, that is a, a beast is a, a person or a nation um, that has great power uh, but no morality, no uh, understanding of truth and right and wrong. It's like a, a bad politician, uh, a person who has great power but has no moral constraint. And so here we find another person satanic origin and power, um, but no uh, real morality behind him. It also tells us that he has two horns like a lamb. Um, unlike the beast who has seven heads and ten horns, uh, this man will be much gentler. Uh, he'll be less frightening. He appears as a man of peace like a lamb. He'll appear harmless. We also note here that he comes out of the earth. Uh, you remember Antichrist came out of the sea. Out of the chaos of the West arises a man with no stability. Uh, that's Antichrist. This man comes out of the earth. Uh, earth is a place of an established order. And many on the basis of that believe this man to be a religious individual. I tend to agree with that. But as you'll hear me say often in this, uh, we are always warned against further, uh, going further than what Scripture allows us to go. Uh, so when you start speculating too far, you find yourself in serious trouble. So we just go off what God has given to us. But we can see clearly here we're dealing with an individual, a person of satanic origin. Um, he's going to be a beast. And uh, he's going to rise out of the earth. And uh, he's going to appear harmless. He's going to appear as a man of peace. He's going to appear as a religious man. But then you find out that he speaks as a dragon. Looks peaceful. Looks religious. But he's no less satanic than Antichrist. You hear his voice. You're hearing uh, the voice of Satan. Um, it's a good reminder, even as we talk about hearing his voice, and he speaks like the voice of Satan, that we don't judge people on the basis of appearances, by what, but by what they say. Uh, we're a people who are always taught to judge what people say uh, by the word of God. That's why scripture will always tell us, or often tells us, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Uh, Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice, and to another they will not listen. So even if a man looks good, and he appears religious, and he seems to be, bring peace, if he speaks contrary to the word of God, you don't listen to him. And uh, as I often say, 
Uh, even if an angel flies in your room tonight, don't get too excited. Let him talk first. <laughs> because if that angel says anything that's contrary to the word of God, you kick him out of your room because they're not a true angel of God. We judge everything by the word of God. So this guy looks really good. He looks smooth. Looks like he's going to bring peace and unity and prosperity. But his voice is the voice of the dragon. He's speaking words that are contrary to the truth of God's word. Um, this is an incredibly significant individual. As I said earlier, uh, the first two of the human race to be cast in the eternal lake of fire are Antichrist and the false prophet. You find that in Revelation 19, verse 20. We'll get there in a couple of months, hopefully. <laughs> but this false prophet is a bad man. Look at verse, look at verse 12. Uh, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. This false prophet, he's Antichrist PR man, uh, Antichrist campaign manager, uh, much in the way that one commentator said that Hitler had a propaganda man, Joseph Goebbels, and he was the PR man uh, for, for Hitler. In, in many similar ways, uh, this false prophet, he'll be the PR man for the Antichrist. So the picture that you have, and we're talking in the midst of the tribulation, is that Antichrist is going to head up that final world empire that we know to be this ten-nation confederacy. So he's going to bring all government under himself. And the second beast, the false prophet, he's going to bring all religion underneath himself, and then he's going to point everyone to Antichrist. His, his message will be uh, similar to uh, that, that bumper sticker that you often see coexist. You ever seen that bumper sticker? I was just going to put a picture of Bill's car up here, uh, but I didn't want to do that. Um, I'm just kidding. Bill does, would never have a bumper sticker like that. But, uh, but I think that will be somewhat of Antichrist's message. That essentially you could keep your own religion. You, you can do whatever you want to do. You can... You can do your own thing, but, but, you, but let's all worship underneath Antichrist. Let's all come underneath the, this Antichrist. Later, it's going to be the old bait and switch. But first, it's going to be, let's just all come underneath this man for the purpose of peace and unity. Isn't that what the world longs for? Let's just all get along, and we can all have our own truth, and we'll, we'll come under one person, one government, one rule, and we'll find peace and unity uh, and prosperity. And so this false prophet, he will unite Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, agnostics. He'll tolerate, unite, and welcome all the religions of the world underneath himself, and there will only be one religion that will not be tolerated. So this is the difference between uh, this man and that coexist bumper sticker, because there's going to be one religion that he won't accept, and it's who? It's the worship of the one true God of Israel and his son, the Messiah. So this one final religion, that's uh, going to ha hate and persecute all true believers. They'll tolerate everyone else, but not God and his son, Messiah. Does that sound familiar, by the way, when we think about this? Um, that we exist in a world that in so many ways, I think we find this to be true. The world has no problem accepting every other religion. But for some reason, they can't stand Christians and they often don't like Israel. Um, that you can worship anything else that you want, but will not tolerate Bibles and crosses. We don't like ultimate truth. We don't want somebody telling us that we're wrong, and we don't want somebody telling us there's only one way to salvation, so we tolerate everybody else, but we don't like you talking about this one true God of Israel, and we don't like his people, and we don't like Christians. And let me tell you why that is. 
Because ultimately, all the other religions of the world are the same. All the other religions of the world are the same. There's really only, when it gets down to it, and this will come to fruition in the midst of the tribulation, uh, specifically at the latter end, but there's only two religions. There's only two categories of religion. There's there's a God-centered, grace-centered religion that has a Bible and an incarnation and a cross and a resurrection and salvation by faith in Christ alone. Or, on the other side, there is man-centered religion where you devise your own idea of truth, you devise your own deity, your own ideas about God, and you do certain moral or religious activities so that you can earn your way to uh, salvation, enlightenment, nirvana, whatever it is to you, and you don't really need a savior. You just earn your salvation on the basis of your own merit, and guess who gets the glory? You do. At its heart, that is every other religion. doesn't matter if you're talking about Hinduism, pantheism, Islam, Buddhism. They're all the same. You come up with truth. You devise your own sense of deity. You create your own system of moral standards by which you earn merit and you earn your way to salvation or, or God. It's all about you. That you're essentially a good person. You just got to try real hard and we'll give you this system and you get there and you can do it on your own. And what is the message of Christianity? <laughs> That's why we are so, the message of the cross is so offensive. Because what do we say to people? You're not good. You're a sinner. Don't care what mama told you. You're not just a good boy. You're a sinner. And in the presence of a holy God, there's no way you're going to get by. Um, so many people, they think that God's going to grade on a curve. It's like trying to jump to the moon. If I asked us to jump to the moon today, some of you might jump higher than others, but all of us are going to come up woefully short, right? A lot of people think the judgment is about you comparing yourself to other people, and you could always find somebody worse than you. But God's judgment is not about lining you up and comparing you to other people. It's about lining you up and comparing you to God's righteousness. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have no hope within ourselves all of us if we got to get to God on our own we are all hopeless uh, but the Bible tells us what there's hope in Christ because there is somebody who is God and came and lived a perfect and sinless life and he died on a cross for our sins not for his he defeated the grave in his resurrection. He's ascended to the Father. And now he offers salvation as a free gift of grace through what? Through faith. And so God convicts our hearts. God draws us to himself. God saves us. And guess who gets the glory? God. That's the beauty of the gospel. But essentially all religions fall into these two categories. Quite frankly, it's the same with false Christianity. Any other system that doesn't tell you, you can't get to God on your own, and the only hope is that God would come and save you through his son, Jesus Christ, is another religion that, quite frankly, is satanic in its origin. And so, it's, it's the same with, uh, when you look back, and I've been, I feel like I'm being so redundant with these things, 
Um, but it's the Tower of Babel. I mean, you, you're going back with, with the Tower of Babel. God starts over after the flood, and man comes underneath one man. They all come together. When man comes together, together does God say, wow, those people are so good? No, when man comes together, it's not a good thing. They don't devise good. They devise evil. And they come underneath one man, and they're going to build a tower to God so that they can worship creation and worship himself, man. And what does God do in an act of mercy? He strikes them with different languages. And the Tower of Babel is the beginning of all nations and all religions. And man at the Tower of Babel is scattered, and he spreads out over the earth like kudzu. You ever seen kudzu in the south? It just overtakes everything. And so man is scattered all over the world. He goes out into all the world and devises his own deity, invents his own religion, and they're all the same. They all have the same origin in the Tower of Babel. Satan's behind them all. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 said, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. You know what Paul is saying? There's a demon, there's Satan behind every one of those idols. As I was studying this, I I thought of, I have been in a, a Buddhist temple and felt the oppressive spirit of Satan in that place. And I've also been in some amazing cathedrals of false religion and felt the same oppressive spirit of Satan. So all these other world religions are the same. They have the same words in the Tower of Babel. They're satanic. He's behind them all. And they all devise their own truth, their own idea of God. They all exalt man and his ability to save himself. They all reject the infinite personal God of the Bible. They all reject Jesus. They all reject his people, Israel, and the church. They reject the cross as the only means of salvation. They all reject the notion of heaven and hell. Their ethics are always fluid, meaning you just make up your own set of ethics And where you find these religions predominantly lived out in any culture, you will always find a third world country that's unhygienic, murderous, and immoral. And you know what you always find in every one of these places? I found it to be true. Women always get the short end of the stick. Because where you have no absolute truth from God on the dignity of women and the sanctity of life and male and female both being made in the image of God, you know what you'll always find? You'll find a situation where the bigger, hairier human crushes the smaller human. It's called the survival of the fittest. And it it, it delves into all kinds of evil and immorality. There's only two religions. And here at the end, in the tribulation period, it's all coming back to where it started. We're going right back to where we began. All government under Antichrist, all religion under the false prophet, and it's going to be clear in that day, you're either going to worship God or Satan. You're going to worship Christ or Antichrist. Look at verse 13. He performs great signs, so even the, he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. So this False prophet, he performs great signs, much like the uh, Pharaoh had his sorcerers who created uh, the supernatural or made a claim to the supernatural to imitate the plagues that Moses brought upon Egypt. Um, we see this in Acts chapter 8. You remember Simon the magician uh, performed these signs and, and wonders and, and the people were amazed by all that he did. Throughout scripture, you'll always find people who make a claim to the supernatural and they amaze the world. It's a good reminder that not all miracles are miracles of God. 
And then we see in verses 14 through 15, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You read those verses and it sounds very similar to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. You either worship the image or you go into a fiery furnace. And what you're seeing in the midst of the tribulation is an escalation. So it starts out in the first three and a half years. Hey, you can keep your own religion. You can do whatever you want to do. We just all got to come underneath this man for the purpose of unity and prosperity and peace. It's going to be great. We're just going to worship him this guy. And then what happens in the middle of the tribulation After the first three and a half years, the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple of God as God. It's the abomination of desolation. When that happens, all other religions are gone. It's the bait and switch. You can keep your religion coming to me. And then eventually he just sets himself up as God and says, no, there is no religion. You either worship me or you die. You know, the question is, how does the world, the whole world fall into this trap? And the real simple answer is control. At this point in the tribulation, Antichrist has essentially total control. uh, Control of government, control of the economy, control of currency. He controls everything. And at this point, he now gains control of religion. Um, you, You think back in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar ruled many nations. And in order to keep them underneath his rule, he made each region bow to an image of himself. Rome had many nations under them, but every year, whatever region you were in, they would set up leaders or governors in those regions to ensure that every year you made sacrifice to Caesar and you had to declare that Caesar is Lord. And right here with one man in total control, it's either you bow down to this image or you die. Look at verses 16 through 17. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So now he's giving a mark, a means by which he brings everyone in submission under his rule. Uh, If you worship the image... You're given a mark, either on your right hand or on your forehead. And if you have this mark, you can now buy and sell. It's it's basically complete and total socialism what you have here. Uh, The question that I often get asked is, will anyone receive this mark unknowingly? And the answer is no. Uh, Nobody will accidentally take the mark of the beast. You're going to know exactly what you're doing. Because I have been asked, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? No, you're not going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. And by the way, if you believe as I do, we're out of here by the time this stuff happens if we're the true church and we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. So we're not there. Um, But if you are there, (laughs) take notes, really good notes, because you're going to need them. You're not going to unknowingly take the mark of the beast that it will be very clear in that moment if you take the mark of the beast, you are worshiping Antichrist. That you are denouncing every other religion, including Christ. 
and you are falling under in, under in giving full submission to an allegiance to Antichrist. If you do not worship the Antichrist, you'll, get the, uh, you'll not get the mark. Uh, it will be this simple. You bow, you get the mark, you live. If you do not bow, you will suffer and you will die. Uh, true believers, Jew and Gentile alike, will face an economic boycott, social alienation, severe persecution, and, and they will die. They will bow or die. Incidentally, does God mark his people? Yes, he does, doesn't he? How does he mark us? By means of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, Satan is going to mark his people, and God marks his people. And they're marked by the Holy Spirit. So two paths. What you see very clearly in the midst of the tribulation, there's two paths. You, you save your physical life. You bow, you, you bow down, you're going to save your physical life, but ultimately you will lose your eternal life. Or the other path, you do not bow because Christians are not people who just worship Christ, but they're people who worship Christ alone. And they will not bow. And they will lose their physical life. But they will gain eternal life. As I was reading this, the verse that comes to mind very, very quickly, Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the, the world today would like everyone to believe that there's a lot of pads. You know, you, I just heard this this past it, As I was talking about the God, you know, li, listen, it, everybody's, as long as they're, they're, they're sincerely following a path. Listen, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Um, but the world wants to tell you, well, there's a bunch of paths. Listen, there's only two paths. It will become blatantly obvious in the midst of the tribulation. Listen, you get to the tribulation, there's going to be no casual Christians. Because if you're a believer, if you come to faith in the midst of the tribulation, you're going to know that to follow that path is going to mean probably death. Ain't going to be nobody casual at that moment. There's going to be two paths. You, you worship God or man. You worship Christ or anti-Christ. You're worshiping God or Satan. And to follow Christ is a path that leads to death. But when you think about it, the same two paths exist today. The same two paths existed today. Jesus is very upfront with us when it comes to following him. If you say today, because we want to be clear to you, it'll be clear then. But we want to be clear with you today. If you say today, I want to follow Jesus, then you need to understand that the path of Jesus is a path of self-denial. It's a path of suffering, and it's a path of death, but it's also a path that ultimately leads to glory. That in God's kingdom, the way up, 
is down. And the way to salvation is to die. Do you remember Jesus um, with Peter at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said what? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Great job. You didn't, you didn't get it on your own. God revealed it to you, because that's always salvation. God reveals it. And Peter got a little arrogant, didn't he? And Jesus immediately began to tell them how he's going to go and suffer and die. And what did Peter say? No, no, Lord, that's not the way it's going to happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And do you, do you remember what Jesus teaches Peter right thereafter? He says, Peter, listen to me. Not only am I going to have to die, but you're going to have to die too. And he says, Peter, not only am I going to die, and you're going to have to die, but then he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up what? His cross. Is a cross a nice, easy, comfortable path? No, the object of our great worship is a hangman's noose. You want to follow me, you got to be willing to lay down your life and and to find yourself caught up in the perfect will of God, no matter what that means. I just want to be so clear with you today. We, we don't, here at Linux, I don't, I don't want you to get the old bait and switch. If you follow Christ, you've got to be willing to lay down your life. It's, it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The most, to me, the most amazing moment in Jesus' ministry was in that garden where he prayed, if there's any other way to do this deal. Jesus was not excited about going to the cross and bearing your sin and being separated from the Father. But you remember what he said at the end? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Christians, true believers, are people who, at the moment of salvation and then moving forward in every other moment of their life, they're confronted with decisions where they have to ask, am I going to do what is personally advantageous? Am I going to follow my own desires, my plans and dreams? Or am I going to just protect my own life? Or am I going to give my life up into the perfect will of God? Because, and, and I say this, and I realize I'm getting away from the false prophet here, but bear with me for a moment. There's a lot of people out there that are just getting, trying to get Jesus to work their side of the street. And I want to tell you that is false Christianity. They just want to add, it's a self-help Jesus. That I want to just add Jesus to my life so that he can help me pursue my goals and my dreams. There's a lot of other pastors that have encouraged me. Hey, pastor, you need to help your men be better business leaders. We want to help you be better business leaders, but God didn't call me to make better business leaders. God called me to tell sinners that your only hope is Jesus Christ. And if you want to know his life and salvation, you've got to lay down your life. Jesus didn't come to help you fulfill your dreams. He came to die for your sins. Because it was the only way that you could have a relationship with God and the security of going to be with him forever in heaven. And so, um, we, I just think we have a tendency to look at this and say in the midst of the tribulation, these two paths are going to be clear. 
but we don't think about how this relates to our day. Listen, the same thing relates to us. We're all making decisions every day about what path we're on, what, what direction we're headed. Look at verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Here's wisdom. The number of the beast is the number of man, 666. Uh, people have speculated, and I, I did this just because out of curiosity's sake, because throughout history we've speculated on the mark of the beast and what the number is and all those things. Uh, do, do you know one of the first speculations as to the mark of the beast, certainly in modern era and our day, uh, was social security cards. In the 1930s, if you got a social security card, you were getting the mark of the beast. Um, at one time, it was viewed as computers. At one time, it has been viewed as credit cards. I think Dave Ramsey still feels that way today, but that's another deal. Um, and I only share those things to tell you, be careful about speculating too much. The mark of the beast, when it occurs, you're going to know it prayerfully. Uh, and my firm beliefs, we're not going to be there. But that number of the beast, it's the number of man. Six is the, 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 the man was created on the sixth day. The number of man is six. The number of God, the number of p- completion and perfection is what? It's the number seven. The superlative of any number, especially in Hebrew, uh, is to say it three times. God is the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you get the thrice holy God. Seven, seven, seven is the superlative of God's perfection. Six, six, six is the superlative of sinfulness. Um, it's the number of man. It's, it's man replacing God. It's man saying we don't need God. We're going to trust in uh, someone else. And John tells us here, here's wisdom so that you may know that there's a way that seems right unto man but leads to destruction. Do you see why this is Satan's greatest deception? He's going to seek to meet the deepest longings of man through a lie. And when you think about it, Satan's tactics haven't changed much, have they? Uh, Since the very beginning... He causes us to question God's word. He says God's word's not true. Then he says God's not really good. God's holding out on you. And the way to find true fulfillment is to do whatever you want to do. Just follow whatever you want to follow. What is it? Like a born nature's child. I was born. Tell me, y'all. Some of y'all know Steppenwolf. You just don't want to admit it in here in church. You just don't want to let anybody know. I was born, born to be wild. And you just get your motor running and head out on that highway. You do whatever you want to do. And I'm telling you, it is a lie of Satan. Because that is a path that leads ultimately to pain, despair, and destruction, and ultimately hell. And Christ has come because you're not a good person. Christ has come because you're a sinner. And he had a choice to make. He could stay in heaven, allow you and I to remain in our sin and die and go to hell. And listen, if he had left it that way, that would have been completely just and fair because that's what we deserved. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. God had a choice between remaining in heaven and keeping the glory of heaven and letting us be lost in our sins and going to hell or giving up the glory of heaven and providing our salvation in his life, death, and resurrection. And which did he choose? He chose you. And he is the only way to God. 
there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And I'm gonna tell you, it's a whole lot easier to trust in him today, to trust in him, to bend the knee, to repent of your sins, to submit to him as Savior and King and know his salvation than to wait for this day. Trust him today. You know, um, yesterday at the Senior Adult Banquet, I was uh, preparing a little devotion for them, and I was, uh, well, you know, it's, it was a Valentine's Day deal, so you got to go to the chapter on love. What's the love chapter? First uh, Corinthians 13, and that's the love chapter. And uh, Paul defines love. At the very end of that, the one that caught my eye is he says, love endures all things. You know, you think about that. How did the great missionaries endure the pain and suffering of following Christ? Think about what Paul endured. Five times he was beaten or whipped 40 lashes minus one. Beaten, stoned. How did he endure? I think of the missionaries that, or when we go over to, uh, a few years ago, we went to Uganda, the refugee camp, and there was pastors there training from Darfur. And they, um, many of them would tell stories of watching their wives and their children killed because they had trusted in Christ. And they didn't turn away from Christ. They committed themselves even more deeply to the point of we want to be trained educationally so that we can go back and preach to the same people that killed our family. And you say, why did they endure? How do these who are in the midst of the tribulation, how do they endure in the midst of persecution? They know they're going to die, just win. Going to starve to death. How long is it going to take? Are they just going to bring you to the gallows? What's going to happen? But they knew. They're going to know I'm going to die. How do they endure? Scripture tells us the love of Christ constrains us. How do we endure today when in many regards the persecution we face is so light in comparison to the history of Christianity? But how do we endure? The love of Christ constrains us. Because we have found in Jesus Christ a greater treasure than this world could ever offer. And so no matter what comes my way today or tomorrow, I will cling to Christ to the very end. You want to know the immeasurable worth of Jesus? Let me ask you today, if today you could have all the wealth of Bill Gates transferred to your account, how good would that be? All the wealth of Bill Gates transferred to your account this afternoon immediately upon one thing. You would have to denounce Christ and never again have a relationship with him. How many of you would choose that? Not a chance. Why? Because the greatest treasure this world could ever know is the treasure of knowing Jesus. And everything else, as Paul says, is rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. And the fellowship of his suffering so that somehow I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do we have a hymn today?
We got it here. It's my favorite. I've been waiting on this one. I'd rather have Jesus. Pastor Bill, there he is. You speak the word and he magically appears. There he is. Hey, can we sing this one? I got to sing it. Everybody stand up. We got to stand. If you're at Reach Church DeSoto, you got to stand and listen to my painful singing again. Let me tell you the first verse. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. If you believe that today, sing this with us, all right? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his name than to be the king of a to sing the last verse because it's my favorite this is the words and then we'll sing it he's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom oh you know the words we're just going to sing it come on Bill lead us he's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom he's sweeter than the honey from out the comb. He's all that my hunger spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we want to declare today to a lost and dying world that we would rather have Jesus. Help us to stand, Lord, in the midst of what is increasingly a cesspool of culture to every day in the momentary decisions of life to declare not so much with our words, but with our lives, that we would rather have Jesus. Because we know that this path we're on, we know where it leads. 
And there's no greater treasure than the treasure of knowing Christ. If somebody doesn't know you today, Lord, draw them inexplicably. Draw them by your spirit and your love to trust in Jesus. And God, help us to live for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.